We are in our second week of our series, Fresh Off the Vine. And if you missed last week, I hope you go online, uh, catch up on that. We are going to be talking about uh, the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. Paul lists these for us in Galatians. He says, the fruit of the Spirit's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And last week, as we began to look at this, we said these are not like nine separate character traits that we all have to try to work really hard on in order to, oh, I need more self-control, I need more self-control, you know, or something like that. What they are is uh, they're, they're fruit. They're something that the Spirit works in us. Uh, they're qualities that grow and flow out of us as the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, is at work within us. In fact, Jesus used that metaphor of a vineyard. He says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. And as a branch, you got one job. What was it? Well, your one job as a branch. Remain. Abide. Abide. We just stay with God. You just stay plugged in to the vine. Abide with him. Uh, so last week, we, I invited you to make this a week or a summer of just learning to abide with Jesus. Just like resting in him, remaining in him. And I hope it's going well. I hope you tried it this week. Probably not because none of you even remembered the word. But if you do, if you decide to try it, remember, if you fail, every moment is another opportunity for you to hop right back on the vine, stay connected to God and the Holy Spirit. And the idea is to allow the Holy Spirit to flow and, and move in and through us to produce that kind of fruit. But sometimes there's roadblocks or obstacles that kind, kind of get in the way. You could even think of them as like weeds in the vineyard. And uh, they just kind of get in the way of fruit being produced. And nowhere is that more apparent than in the very first one that we're going to be talking about this morning, uh, love. Love. Now, when we say the word love, people get all sorts of different ideas uh, in their head. You know, you think love, oh, I love my dad, it's Father's Day, I love my mom, I love my brothers and sisters, I love my kids, I love, you know, my pets, I love whatever. I just, like, we tend to think in terms of emotion. But Jesus had a much more concrete idea of love uh, that he taught his followers. Different, different than what we tend to think of right away. And he gives them a picture of this kind of love in John chapter 13. John chapter 13, if you want to follow along, we're going to be hanging out in John 13 this morning. But John sets the stage in the very first couple of verses uh, for what he's going to be talking about. It says, it was uh, just before the Passover festival, and Jesus knew the hour had come, the hour of his glorification, the hour for him to, to leave this world and go to the Father. So Jesus is like, okay, this is it. This is my last opportunity. Like if somebody's going away and it's like, before you go, I... I need to let you know, I just remember this one thing. And so Jesus is like, okay, this is my last meal. This is a chance to reemphasize what's most important. And so he wants to make sure they remember this. So instead of just like doing another teaching lesson, he's going to do an object lesson. He's going to act out uh, what he wants them to understand. It says, having loved those, uh, his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. In other words, what he is about to do, this is an act of love. He's showing, showing love through this act. It says in verse 2, the evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. And this is so interesting. We're going to come back to this, but so interesting that, that John makes a note of this right here. Verse 3, Jesus knew the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. In other words, Jesus had a very strong sense of identity and he was secure in the Father's love. And the fact that he knew he was loved by the Father. And so because of that, because of that, he got up from the meal, 
took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. He took off his, his rabbi robes. He t- put this towel around his waist. And uh, after that, he poured water in a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now, we don't do this anymore. Like, that's not a common practice for us is to wash other people's feet. But it was very common back then. It was a very important part of ancient life. But it was kind of a demeaning job. You know, that was a job for slaves. That was a job for your servants. Always done by slaves. No record anywhere of this ever being done by a superior for somebody of a lower status. And it was never done by a rabbi. Like, so this was shocking, shocking to uh, Jesus' followers that Jesus would do this. In fact, we read in a few verses that, that Peter resists. He's like, no, 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 Jesus, don't, don't, wash, don't wash my feet. And Jesus is like, well, if I don't wash your feet, you can't have any part of me. And Peter's like, okay, this must be like a cleansing thing. He'll give me a bath, Jesus. You're just like everywhere, just my whole. And Jesus is like, no, 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 you don't understand. He's going to explain it to them. Down at verse 12, it says, when he finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. Probably not, because they never did. Uh, you, you call me teacher, rabbi, and Lord, and rightly so, for that's what I am. Now that I, your Lord and rabbi, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I set an example that you should do as I have done for you. In other words, this is not just you know, a concept. They're like, oh, isn't this cool that Jesus did this object lesson? He's like, no, I want you to do this. Put this into practice. He says, very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you study them and pray about it. You know, and if there's somebody in need, you, know, you talk to somebody. No, he says, you'll be blessed if you do them. Do it. Anybody here ever had their feet washed before, like in a service, have a foot washing service? Oh, we should do that sometime. I, uh, uh, when I was in middle school, I went, attended a brethren church. And part of their practice was four times a year, quarterly, we would get together on Sunday night and we would have, uh, they'd put all the, the tables in like a cross shape and we'd sit at the table and we'd have a, like a little light meal, some turkey sandwiches or something like that. And then all the deacons would get the guys a few at a time and the deaconesses would take the ladies and we'd go off into side rooms and we'd kind of have a foot washing service and wash uh, each other's feet. And then come back and then do the, the, the communion part of that. And then that, so that was a part of it. It was super, super cool. Very intimidating the first time you do it. Like, oh, what's going on? And this is very odd. But, uh, but so memorable. Very impactful. We've done it, uh, some mission trips uh, with kids before. Imagine what it must have been like to have Jesus do that for you. Like, I mean, it's, it's hard enough to have somebody else. But this would be an experience you would never forget. And they, they never did. This, this was burned into their memories. Now, in this chapter, Jesus kind of gives two one another commands. He goes, I want you to do two things for one another. This is the first one. He says, wash one another's feet. In other words, serve one another. The second one comes down at verse 34. He says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. I want you to serve one another. I want you to love one another. By this, everyone will know you're my my Talmudim, my, my disciples, my followers that you belong to me. Everybody's going to know you're mine if you love one another. Jesus is like, do you, do you get it? Do you understand what I'm telling you? This is not, this is not like the, the practice of washing feet. You know, it's like, that's kind of symbolic, but this is a tangible reminder of the example of service that I want you to do. I want you to, to love one another practically, to serve one another as I have loved you. The same way you've seen me demonstrate this, I want you to do 
that for one another. I want you to love one another by serving one another. That's how you live out your love. Now, this tends to go by us pretty fast, and we're like, oh, yeah, okay, love one another. Yeah, sure, sure Jesus, I can do that. You know, I'm just, and we try to get this, like, warm, fuzzy feeling for the, you know, all the people in the world, and it's like, oh, I just got to love, I love humanity. You know, I love people. I love, I love children, you know, kumbaya. You know, we're just kind of like, we kind of try to get this, we generate this emotion of love. That's kind of what we tend to think of. But Jesus is really clear. Love's a verb. It's doing. If you love someone, you serve them. It's that simple. It's active. So what I tend to do is I read something like this. I go, okay, all right, so Jesus, okay, so I'm supposed to love them by serving them. Okay, so I'm going to go, you know, serve somebody because it's part of my religious duty, right? But Jesus is not talking about just imitating his actions. He's talking about imitating his heart. Love one another as I have loved you. Don't just go through the motions, but develop a heart that loves. Because here's what Jesus knew. He knew that the biggest stumbling block, the biggest weed you know, the, to love, the, the biggest thing that was going to trip his disciples up was going to be pride. It's going to be pride. He points this out, verse 16. He says, I, tr- I tell you, no servant's greater than his master. You're not, you're not better than me. Nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If serving others, Jesus is saying, is not beneath me, it's not, again, not beneath you either. So follow my example. But we struggle with that because like, you know, it's nice to be served. You go to the restaurant and people, they have servers and they wait on you. And it's like, that's nice. It's nice to, when other people do that, you know, and it's, man, this, this, this weed of pride just kind of begins to grow up inside of us. And it's something that runs real deep in our culture. I, this is like, it's celebrated, you know. Uh, Muhammad Ali, you guys remember Muhammad Ali? He had this saying, what was it? Kind of his motto. I float like a butterfly, stinging like a bee. But what, what did he say about himself? I am I'm the greatest. Yeah, I'm the greatest. Muhammad Ali. Joe Namath wrote his autobiography and he wrote this. He says, I can't wait till tomorrow because I keep getting better looking every day. <laughs> That's in his autobiography. Don King, the boxing promoter, he had a quote. He said, I never cease to amaze my own self. And then he added, I say that humbly. Can you imagine if he said it with pride? You know, like... like See, here's the whole deal. Like, if we're going to love and serve the same way Jesus loved and served us, we got to weed out the pride and allow the Spirit to work to cultivate this heart of humility within us. And the first step is just admit. Admit we got a problem with pride. There's an old country song, some of you may know, by a guy named Mac Davis. Uh, It kind of goes like this. Oh, Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. I can't wait to look in the mirror because I get better looking each day. To know me is to love me. I must be a heck of a man. Oh, Lord, it's hard to be humble, but I'm doing the best that I can. Right? Sometimes it's hard to admit like we got a problem with pride because we have such a skewed view of ourselves. Or or we get too proud to admit we have a problem. I mean, that kind of sounds like something other people have. They, They got a problem with pride. Uh, which is weird because we, we get, we, you know, I'm glad I don't have a problem with pride. I'm glad I'm so humble. And we get proud of that, the fact that we're humble. If we're going to cultivate a heart like Jesus, we've got to acknowledge our own pride. Acknowledge it to yourself. Acknowledge it to God. And then acknowledge it to another person. Like you talk to somebody else about this to help them root this out of you. So let's just practice that real quick. Just turn to somebody near you and just say, I think I'm pretty awesome. Just say, uh, turn to the, I think I'm pretty awesome. So tell them, I think I deserve to be served.
Tell them, I, I have a problem with pride. Just say that out to the, yeah, I have a problem with pride. Isn't that nice to admit it? Right? It's sort of freeing. Self-awareness is the foundation upon which every other virtue is built. Self-awareness. And it's hard to realize we have a problem sometimes because we don't recognize the symptoms. You know, we don't recognize the symptoms of pride. So let's talk about what that can look like. One of the areas where, where pride kind of manifests itself is in the area of stubbornness. Stubbornness, uh, the Bible says, is often caused by pride. In Proverbs, we read, for people who hate discipline and only get more stubborn, there'll come a day when life tumbles in and they break. But by then, it'll be too late to help them. And what's going on here is that they're too stubborn uh, because of their pride. They're not gonna, they can't receive criticism or correction. They hate discipline. And if this describes you, the problem that you face is you can't stop defending yourself. You know, somebody, somebody points out a flaw in your character or an error, and you just kind of evade and deny and blame others, and you can't accept your own imperfections because of pride, you know? It's like, I thought I made a mistake once, but I was wrong. So, it, yeah, the problem is you're dealing with a defensive person, and when you talk to them about their issue, they just get more defensive. So it's very difficult to get past that. Quick show of hands here. How many, how many people wrestle with defensive? You're, you're kind of defensive? How many people are like, not me, I'm not defensive? No, no, right? That's one, that's one area. Another form of pride is the controlling person. Right? We struggle with wanting to control everything. I, this is one of mine. In Ephesians, the Apostle Paul tells us, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So instead of trying to control, we're supposed to submit to one another. But controlling people have difficulty doing this. Because if you're a controlling person, your motto is, if you want something done right, you got to do it yourself, right? you got to do it yourself. You have a hard time handing over the reins to somebody else. Some, somebody else is doing something, and you always have to give your input. Yeah? I, does that describe you at all? Anybody else wrestle with control issues? got to admit it. Yeah, one more I'll give you. Judging people. If this is you, like the world is a movie, and you have been called to be the critic. <laughs> One of your favorite phrases is, well, this may not be any of my business, but, <laughs> right? Now, understand, what's behind this one is not simply that, that you evaluate things, because evaluation and discernment, that's real important. This is a failure to be for someone. You know how you can tell if you're, if you're for someone or not? Uh, someone does something you may not like. Do you give them the benefit of the doubt, or do you immediately think the worst of them? See, if you think the worst, you're probably not for them. You're probably judging them. You're often critical with others. And, and it's very easy to see the flaws in another person, but hard to see it in the mirror. See, the first step to, uh, to dealing with pride is just acknowledging, yeah, I got a problem with this. So you learn to spot the symptoms in yourself. Admit you have a problem. That's the first step. And then the second step, Jesus says very clearly, is to cultivate humility. In other words, Humble yourself. Humble yourself. Now, we sometimes get this messed up because we don't really like have a, a very clear perception of what hum humility is, of what it means to be humble. So, um, let me give you a little quiz to see if we can kind of get a handle on this. Okay? We're going to deal for a moment on how you humble yourself in the real world. So, here's a real-life situation, and I want you to reflect on this as a Christ follower uh, in the real world. Uh, how do you respond? Someone compliments you on the way you look. 
And you're trying to develop in this whole area of humility. So as a Christ follower, how do you respond? Someone compliments you on your looks. What should you do? Option number one, should look down at the ground, shuffle your feet and say, I'm not really attractive. It's just the light in here is pretty dim. Right? Sounds like a humble thing to do, right? Option two, boldly speak the truth by saying, I'm terribly interested. Tell me more. Let us celebrate this good news together. It's just truth and love, baby. Just let it all out. Option three, in order to correct their superficial focus on physical appearance, you quote Proverbs 11.22. A beautiful woman lacking in discretion and modesty is like a fine gold ring in a pig snout. Yeah, uh, that'll pretty much clear up any problems you have with compliments. Uh, Number four, you tell them, you're giving me a swelled head, get behind me, Satan. Or number five, you just smile, say thank you, and be quiet. Now I'll let you kind of reflect as a Christ follower, what's the appropriate thing to do? See, humility is not convincing yourself like you're less than, you're, you're incompetent, or you're unattractive. And people get real confused about this, and they think you know, it's about beating themselves up and trying to make themselves into nothing. A helpful way of thinking about this is it's kind of a healthy self-forgetfulness. Humility is not thinking less of ourselves, it's thinking of ourselves less. Pride. Pride is not always being self-centered. We, we think pride, proud people is like, oh, they're so arrogant. It's not always that so much as sometimes it's this, um, this kind of self-preoccupation or, or, or self-consciousness that kind of gets in the way of our loving others. For instance, uh, earlier when I, when I said, uh, I talked about the foot washing service, that practice, how many of you, don't raise your hand, your first reaction was, well, I don't want anybody to wash my feet because they're too ugly or smelly or stinky or whatever, yeah? Yeah, it's kind of, it kind of gets self-conscious and we're, oh, it's all about me. Peter found out it takes a lot of humility to allow someone else to wash your feet, to serve you. It takes a lot of humility for us to allow someone to serve us because we worry about what people are going to think about us. You know, we're, we're kind of occupied with ourselves. Or we, we kind of want to be in control. Don't serve, you know, I want to do it. I'll do it myself. I'm, I'm kind of self-sufficient. And it's all kind of a pride deal. So how do you cultivate humility? Like, uh, when you see some of those symptoms of pride kind of cropping up, just, like, take the opportunity to counteract what's going on in your heart. Kind of the, the antidote for some of those symptoms. And that's going to take some work on your part. We talked a few weeks ago about spiritual disciplines. You might need to engage in some of these. If you don't like the word discipline, you can use the word practice. But at their core, spiritual disciplines are just things that I do that help me stay connected to the vine. And I practice it because it helps me get better. I'm not there yet. I want, I want to get better at it. So maybe the battle you fight this week is, is the stubbornness one. You know, you kind of stubbornness, it often manifests itself in the need to be right. You can't stand to lose an argument. Like, you believe that the last word is kind of your legal birthright. So sometime this week, you're going to have a disagreement with someone. You will. You'll get into an argument, maybe. And, and when the disagreement comes, you're going to be tempted to kind of respond in a way that may be a little arrogant or dismissive or some sarcastic comment or a toxic word. But instead, before you say anything, you just pause and allow the Holy Spirit to guide you. And just say to yourself, like, I want to love this person the way that Jesus loved me. And so you practice not saying something. You practice not disagreeing with someone. But what if they're wrong? <laughs> Even when they're wrong. That's the hard one. It's like, but they're wrong, I know. But <sighs> practice not disagreeing. There's a great, great story uh, about the great writer and, and uh, 
and a philosopher, Dallas Willard. Uh, he was teaching a philosophy class of freshmen one time at USC. And someone, one of these freshmen was trying to point out somewhere that he thought Dallas was wrong. Okay, this freshman, way off base, and he's trying to correct the teacher, and he's doing it in kind of an obnoxious way. So everybody's waiting for Dallas just to kind of, you know, put the hammer down and lay this guy out flat. And so this student makes, finishes making this challenging and, and kind of obnoxious point, and there's this moment of silence. And Dallas says, well, that's probably a good place to leave our discussion today, so let's just end class here, and we'll see you again next week. And then everybody leaves. That was the last thing that was said. And one of the, one of the students went up to Dallas afterwards like, what are you doing? Like, like, he was so wrong, so off base. Like, I was waiting for you to squash him like a bug. Why didn't you show, show him up? And I love Dallas's immediate response was, I was practicing the discipline of not having to have the last word. Isn't that wonderful? I don't, I don't know that I could do that. You ever practice that discipline? You ever want to practice that discipline? You sitting next to somebody you want to practice that discipline? <laughs> uh, yeah, you'd like to have them. Pra- practice not having to say that ha- have the last word. Practice the discipline of silence. Maybe for you it's not stubbornness. It's kind of that need for control, you know? And you're going to have an opportunity this week to surrender control to somebody else. To submit, let them have control. Maybe even literally the remote control, right? That's a hard one for guys, I, you know, for me. Someone doesn't do something the way that you would do it, but instead of correcting them, you just let it go. You know? Or maybe for you, pride kind of manifests itself as sort of this judgmental attitude. And so sometime this week, you're going to be tempted to judge somebody. You're going to be tempted to pass an evaluation on somebody else who did the wrong thing, or said the wrong thing, or, or wore the wrong thing, or believes the wrong thing, or practices the wrong thing. And it's going to feel so good to tell somebody else about what that person did wrong that you don't like. But when that temptation comes up, you're going to remember what Jesus teaches about the various forms that pride takes. And you're going to say in your mind, here's my chance to be quiet. Here's my chance to love and extend grace. Wherever pride tends to manifest itself in you, Use these areas as opportunities to allow the Holy Spirit to work through you, to help you grow in humility so you can love the way that Jesus demonstrated for us. And remember, these are practices. They take time and repetition to begin to do their work in us. And eventually, we begin to develop a heart like Jesus' heart, a heart that that desires to serve and to love one another, just as Jesus served and loved us. And I'll tell you why this is so important, especially for Christ followers. Remember what Jesus said in verse 35. He says, by this, everyone will know that you're my disciples. If you love one another. Loving and serving one another, that is supposed to characterize our relationship in the body of Christ. My New Testament professor uh, from college, Dr. Gary Burge, wrote a commentary on the book of John. And here's, here's how he puts it. I think this is beautiful. He says, Nothing so astonishes a fractured world as a community in which radical, faithful, genuine love is shared among its members. There are many places you can go to find communities of shared interest. Many places you can go to find people just like yourself who who live for sports or music or gardening or politics. But it is the mandate of the church to become a community of love 
a circle of Christ's followers who invest in one another because Christ has invested in them who exhibit love not based on the mutuality and attractiveness of its members, but on the model of Christ who washed the feet of everyone, including Judas. The way that we love each other is supposed to be so evident. People go like, oh, they must be Jesus' people. They must be his followers. That's the key way that we are to demonstrate the love of Christ to a watching world. And it draws people into community. And more importantly, it draws people to Jesus and inspires them to want to get to know our Savior who set this example for us to follow. By this, by this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for this word. Thank you for this picture uh, this washing people's feet is such a, a menial, demeaning kind of a task in that day, but an example for us to follow. It's so hard for us because we get so wrapped up in ourselves and self-conscious and self-preoccupied, self-centered. Lord, help us to root out uh, the weeds of pride so that we can love people the way that you want us to. Help us to see it in ourselves. God, not to be defensive if somebody calls it out in us, but to keep growing in this area, to stay plugged into the vine so that this fruit of love can be on display in our lives, in, a, in our community, in our, in our fellowship here, so that other people can see. God, uh, give us wisdom to know exactly how to do this and then the courage to go do it. We ask all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.